Welcome to the Biblical Theology Briefing Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined in our virtual studio by my good friend, Ben Glad. And Ben, we've got a little bit of role reversal here. I know our listeners can't see this, but normally I'm at home in my office and you're on campus in your campus office recording. But since it's a new year, we've decided to switch roles and I'm on campus and you're at home. Yeah, I'm rarely at home working. It's it's <laughs> one of the massive ironies. I mean, it's because my wife, Nikki, she's she runs her website from her house and she says that she can't get any work done if I'm at home. So, I mean, you know, when Jesus says that foxes have holes, you know, and birds have nests, but there's the, but Ben has no place to lay that's his right. head. That's, pretty sure that's what he has in mind. Yeah, that's so, some good interpretation right there. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of good, good yeah. preaching and teaching. Yeah, that's that's going to inspire confidence of our listeners yeah. that we know how to handle the biblical text. That's right. So today yeah. there's a special, she has decreed a special dispensation for this yes. podcast. So I am... Sweet! <laughs> this is... This is a parenthesis, as it were. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, do you have a good uh, holiday season? I know you're a you're a big Christmas guy. Yeah, yeah. I I did. I did the music. We did the stockings. You know, we had the whole thing. We did the Bass Pro Santa. We had at least two, if not three, Santa portraits. I mean, we were all in, and we traveled to Grand Rapids. We did Chicago for a couple of days in Grand Rapids. And then the blizzard hit. I mean, it snowed for four straight days. So did you got, you got some of that though, right? Yeah, we did. So um, we were supposed to drive out uh, to Omaha and we were going to leave, we were going to leave on the 23rd, but because the snow and the wind came through, uh, we actually waited until the 24th. And what's crazy is the drive between where we live in Indiana and Chicago, that was treacherous sliding all over the place really driving 40 miles an hour once we got west of chicago it was fine oh wow yeah but it, i mean it you were yeah, up in grand so, rapids so you got buried right you got like a bunch of snow did tons of snow tons of snow. not it was so cold though that it really didn't ice over which was fortunate you guys may have had more ice than we have yeah we it, it was slick for sure did you get did you get anything good for christmas Any sure yeah um, yeah, I picked up a few books, a uh, bunch of crossway stuff. Um, have you seen the, uh, scribes in scripture? By I read me? it. Yeah, I read you it. You did. Yeah. 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 So Very I picked good. that up. Um, I'm trying to think what else I picked up. Uh, Neil Shenby's new book on apologetics. Uh, I think, oh. is it why believe? I think, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. So looking forward to, to dig into that a little bit. So what about you? Um, socks, of course, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's fat. It's, it's sad because when you're younger, you're like, Oh, socks for Christmas. That's such a bummer. Yeah. Now you're like, Hey, that's actually kind of exciting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of come full circle to be sure. disappointed at socks. Now you're yes. excited. So I, you know, really to, to really close the loop, if, if I would have had some, some new underwear or something that would have really put the, <laughs> the ribbon on top of my Christmas present. So there yeah, you go. It was, it was good. It was lots of, we don't, because we did, uh, because he holidayed in Chicago for a couple of days, Nikki and I said, all right, let's not go too crazy for Christmas between the two of us. And, uh, so we kind of toned down our gifts and spent it on eating out in Chicago, basically. Gotcha. 
Nice. Nice. It was fun. It was fun. Good. Well, we are talking today about uh, preaching and biblical theology. Obviously, the focus of our podcast is on biblical theology. Today, uh, we're going to focus on um, on biblical theology as applied to preaching. But actually, I remember now, uh, I forgot to mention, we are now, our podcast is now part of what's called the Confessional Podcast Network, which is a group of podcasts that uh, is uh, seeking to explain and apply biblical truth uh, you can find out more online about that, but uh, we're excited about that larger network. So might have some new listeners coming in as that's getting going. But um, yeah. All right, Ben, let's talk a little bit about uh, preaching and biblical theology. Uh, maybe before we dive into some of the specifics, uh, how often do you get to preach? I mean, obviously our main roles are as professors in in seminaries. And so that's our main ministry is teaching uh, but we're also very much involved in our local churches. So how often do you get to, to preach, whether it's in your normal local church or whether it's tr- out and about traveling? Yeah, I mean, since COVID sort of slowed slowed everything way down because I would travel a bunch and preach, and I'm my schedule is just now kind of ramping up as far as traveling and preaching, so I feel like I'm just kind of at the cusp of it ramping up. That said, I mean, it's not a lot. I do more on the teaching side of things and giving lectures and conferences more than preaching on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Just a couple times a year, to be honest. You know, maybe high would be a six, low would be two. You know, it just ranges in between there. And it's just because of um, just all, all sorts of, of things. Are you Are you in yeah. there? Maybe a little bit more than that? Uh, that's almost exactly where I'm at uh, in terms of probably... Uh, typically between three to six a year. Um, now I do serve on um, our preaching team at, at my local church. So that involves more than just preaching. It's, it's I'm, so I'm part of the preaching planning and uh, talking through series and, and, and that sort of thing. But in terms of the actual uh, act of preaching itself between my local church and then uh, preaching in chapel here at grace and traveling occasionally, um, I'd say five to six um, is probably about right per year. So, right now, but that do- said, though, yeah, that said, and I and I, I I have this little lecture on on preaching in one of my classes that I teach. I say, even though I don't preach as much as you know, maybe some of the other professors that I teach with, um, I have heard gazillions of sermons so <laughs> yes. you know I, I i may not be able to do it every week however mm-hmm. i listen yeah. to so and i have listened to since i was just a little kid i mean i grew sure. up in a, in a youth pastor so so even though I, I i don't have thousands of sermons under my belt that i've given yeah. i've heard tens of thousands so yeah. you know you kind of have to keep that in mind as well sure yeah absolutely so um, let's talk about kind of how uh, how we started using biblical theology. When did you start incorporating biblical theology into your preaching ministry? Because I'm guessing, at least on my end, I was preaching really before I was doing biblical theology. And so I had to sort of learn, not after the fact, but after I'd started preaching, how to use biblical theology effectively. Uh, what about you? Uh, in terms of your process of kind of starting to use biblical theology in your in your preaching, yeah. So the question is how 
did or how or when did I start to preach text in light of the Bible story? How yeah. did I start to connect it? Uh, nobody just anecdotally here, nobody ever taught me how how to do that. This is just something that I I heard a little bit other people doing. I was like, oh, I like that. But then really it's born of just my own work and the connections that I see. And then now I'm going to then explain these connections. I've heard students tell me that when I preach, they're like, this is qualitatively different from the teaching that they are used to. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that's meant as a slam or <laughs> if that's encouragement. I'm not quite sure which way to take it. Yeah. Uh, but my preaching is certainly qualitatively different than I think that most um, hear or listen to. And I suspect that yours is uh, sort of the same. So uh, when it, this is just over just years and just slowly getting better at it, slowly noticing connections, really the idea is noticing the connections and then explaining connections without being too complicated with, yeah. making the connections accessible and clear and, 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 and worthwhile rather than it being too academic. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, that's really ultimately one of the biggest challenges, because I, I, I'm sure you've seen this as well, that you get uh, students who are who, who suddenly have their their eyes and their minds just, you know, opened wide to the beauty of biblical theology and the, the storyline of scripture and tracing themes and threads and, and all that and looking at old and the new. And then they go to preach and it becomes this exercise in like content overload where they just want to dump everything that they've studied on their poor uh, congregation. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, right. And, and, and what, have you seen, obviously we're not naming names here, just whether it's in a podcast or YouTube, whatever. Have you seen biblical theology done poorly? Well, I, I think is that, you're kind of getting at that, right? Yeah. You're kind of getting at that. that. That is one way that I think it's used poorly is you, you, you try to do too much, too much and you try to give too much explanation uh, beyond what is... Um, necessary and helpful for whatever passage you're preaching. And so what ends up happening is, is it can become almost a form of, um, almost a form of a topical sermon because you've mm -hmm. just sort of taken your initial text and you've launched out into whatever mm -hmm. biblical theology uh, thread or mm. theme, or, you know, you're preaching the larger story of the Bible. And, you know, 15 minutes later, your congregation's like, I thought we were in second Samuel, but <laughs> that doesn't seem to be anywhere on the horizon anymore. Like what happened, you know? Mm. So I, so I think, do you think that, go ahead, go, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, you're good. Uh, so I think um, that can be one way that it's used poorly is that um, whatever text you're in, and this can happen whether it's New Testament or Old Testament text you're primarily preaching, that it, it becomes a springboard into whatever sort of biblical theology thread you want to pull, and you've not done enough work in the original text, in the, in the actual passage that you say you're preaching, so that, you, so that what ends up happening sometimes is that the congregation 
loses sight of whatever connection you made to the what how it fits in the original passage that you started in. So that's the distinction between a topical sermon and a biblical theological sermon, is that the biblical theological sermon, the Old Testament connections or New Testament, whichever way you're preaching, yeah. they're organic. Yes. They're organic to the text. They're not simply imposed upon the text, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think part of what part of what you need to do, and, and this is this is something that I think preachers uh, need to think more uh, intentionally about. And I think most most good preachers probably realize this. They just don't think about it often enough. Is that every time you preach, you are modeling how to read the Bible. Oh, that's good, right? And so you're, most people are going to learn how to read their Bible from from the regular preaching ministry of their church. You know, most people in the congregation are probably not going to take a a Bible study methods kind of class at church, or they're not going to necessarily read books about how to how to do it. But they learn how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible by watching their pastor preach and seeing what he's doing and what sort of things he's drawing out of the text and what sort of connections he's making. And so I don't think that that means that you have to do a like, I don't I don't mean be pedantic where you're like, first I did this and then I did this. Like that's bad preaching. Okay. But what what you want to be able to do is hopefully lead your congregation along the path that you walked so they can see it for themselves and not just be like, well, gosh, the only way you can see that is if you have this seminary degree and know Greek and mm-hmm. Hebrew and, and second temple Jewish backgrounds, you know, that's not what you want to leave your congregation with. Hmm. D now I find myself doing this from time to time. I, I may add one little sliver into each sermon. I, I like to give a little piece of, this is how you read the Bible and I'll do it with that particular text. So I'll say something along the lines of, Oh, do you have your cross references there in, in the pew? Okay. You, your, your Bible should be listing, let's say Ezekiel 34 alongside this verse. Do you see that? And they Mm -hmm. say, okay, yeah. Okay. Now we need to ask the question, why is it there? So what that's giving that is you're giving, uh, congregants the ability you're instructing them how to read well and you're yes. explaining why that's important rather than thus says the lord and just mm-hmm. explaining texture explaining the process of interpretation you don't have to give a 50 minute lecture on these things but i do think it's important to instruct people how to read the bible at some level every once in a while and i gotta yep. be honest with you I could count on one hand the amount of sermons that I've heard a pastor has done, has given just a little bit, give me just a little something mm-hmm. how to read. Not just demonstrate it, but yeah. to explicitly say, this is how you read well. And I, yeah. I, it doesn't have to be long. It could be 30 seconds. But I think yeah. it's those little pieces there. Because you're right. Most people in the church, they're plumbers, they're electricians, they're accountants, they're 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 stay-at-home moms or whatever and um and uh they the sermon is the source Mm -hmm. of their method yeah for sure for sure yeah i think there's i think there's a good i think there's a good balance there um and and when you can drop those sort of nuggets along the way 
and say, you know, just as an aside, notice this cross reference here, or, you know, if you, if you read, you know, here's where the value of reading the whole chapter or these three chapters all at once helps you see this connection with this connection, those sorts of, uh, nuggets that you drop in as you're preaching can be uh, super helpful to the congregants uh, in in figuring out, so, okay, when they open their Bible tomorrow morning and are reading the scriptures, what sort of things should they be looking for uh, as they're reading? So, okay, so we've listed one abuse that is a topical sermon instead of a biblical theological sermon. That Mm -hmm. is, the topical sermon is not organic to the text. What's another, what's another pitfall? An yeah, abuse, I, an abuse of biblical theological sermons, or maybe it's sure. not at all connected. Maybe it's not even connected to the Old Testament at all. That's kind of on the other side of this, right? Right. I mean, I think that that's the other extreme is that um, you end up with a sermon that's completely uh, isolated from the rest of the context of the storyline of the Bible. Um and it's it's not just, I mean, the obvious danger is that you do this in the Old Testament, right? So you're preaching a passage in the Old Testament, and you treat it in isolation, and you never put it within its sort of broader canonical and biblical theological context of how it's uh, fitting in the storyline and pointing forward to the need for Christ or who Christ is going to be or what he's going to do, uh, or even just, you know, patterns in Scripture that are pointing us towards Christ that are going to be fulfilled, those sorts of things. And so I don't think this is unique to my Old Testament prophet at, at Trinity, but uh, he he loved to say, um, sort of tongue in cheek, but not really, that uh, if you preach a message from the Old Testament that doesn't, that wouldn't get you kicked out of a synagogue, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> oh, that's and, good. And, that's I mean, good. I, I don't think yeah. that's all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's good. So, so, I mean, and his point was, and, and this was a guy who was so good at r- making sure he rubbed your nose in the original language and in the text and made sure that you understood that passage in its original context uh, and understood it and didn't just make too quick of a jump into the biblical theological context, but you really understood it. And then from there said, okay, now what are the organic connections? Because we read this as Christians reading it as anticipating pointing forward to Christ as part of the larger uh, redemptive historical narrative that stretches from Genesis to Revelation. So you cannot leave your audience, your congregation there with just some sort of generic. um, And so God wants you to be kind. End of story. You know, (laughs) like, like, okay, Mm -hmm. great. But um, Mm -hmm. You know, if I think if you take seriously what the New Testament says about the Old Testament, you know, when Paul says uh, in, um, you know, in Romans 15, that these things were written for us and for our encouragement so that we might have hope. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. So we can't just leave it as a sort of detached. Um, uh, this was God's message to Israel. And now let's pray, you know, like that, like you just can't leave it there because God speaks to his people today through that. And not just in some sort of generic principalized way, but ultimately as part of the larger narrative that, um, that runs from Genesis to, to Revelation. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think I like that. I like I think that's a good that's a good way to go. I I mean I would I would echo but I would echo that. I I I, I think there's another peril here, another another mm -hmm. pitfall when pastors and now this is not this is this is just bad preaching. You know, we've been talking about <laughs> bad biblical theological preaching. Okay? Yeah, we mentioned it's topical or number two, it's the opposite. It's completely detached. Yeah. The third, the third sort of category here uh, is when a pastor, it kind of gets back to our first point that is when the pastor is preaching a text and he's only isolating, I call it cherry picking. Mm -hmm. Most pastors, when they, I suspect this is 60 to 80% of pastors, when they prepare their weekly sermons, they open up the text and they look at, or they they find key words that they hone in on. So if we have the word glory, or if they have the word sin, or if you have the word kingdom, like, oh, I can talk about that. And then mm -hmm. what do you do for five minutes? You talk five minutes about glory in the Bible, or 10 yeah. minutes about kingdom in the Bible. I mean, I get it. Is that terrible? It's not terrible. But you walk away from the sermon going, I don't know what the passage is about. Exactly. Like, and, and, and uh, I, that's, that is, I think the number one problem with, with today's, with today's pastors is that the sermons are not expositional in nature. They're more, it's like these little topical sermons kind of mm -hmm. put together. It's a string. It's a string yeah. of topics and I call it cherry picking. And they just mine, they mine a text and they find familiar pieces. And then they talk about all these pieces. And then at the end of the day, you're like, I don't know what this text is about. You, you've only covered these words mm -hmm. and with, and then you threw in some funny jokes and some illustrations. <laughs> and then you said, amen, you know, and yeah. that's just how these, that's just how this goes, unfortunately. Yeah. And so I think that is probably the biggest pitfall of of today's preaching is that they're mm -hmm. just they're simply cherry picking these words instead of matt instead of going through line by line how what is this saying how is this connected to the rest i call i do something called discourse analysis i follow the logical mm -hmm. flow of the text i then look for biblical theology and then answer uh, how is this text fit with the other text in the book and I, you know, these sort of these, these bigger, bigger picture issues. And it's a lot of work. See, it's, it's, it's a lot of work on the front end when you're getting yeah. started, when you're younger, but then as you age, you get better at these things. You're, you're working hard on your sermons. And as you grow and as you age, these connections come more easily. And I, and I hope then so that, you know, when you get into your second decade of ministry, Mm -hmm. that the sermons will get better and that the connections will get richer and the preaching, the preaching will get deeper. But if you have bad habits on the front end, if you're cherry picking on the front end for 10 years, guess what you're going to do for the rest of your career? You're only going to cherry pick. Yeah. And I think it's, it's these young pastors have to work really hard for about 10 or so years. And then I think they can, I think they can. Yeah. That's just, I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of going off there, but it's, yeah, it's a tendency that I see. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, just kind of what you look for. So let's say, let, let's start with an Old Testament passage. So um, 
you know, you can pick whatever Old Testament passage you want, but when you're preaching from the Old Testament, um, kind of walk us through what your process is and how biblical theology informs your uh, the process of preaching. Yeah, so let's say, uh, man, let's just say Exodus 3. It's okay. a great text. Yeah. Um, depends on where in Exodus 3 you want to go. Let's say... Uh, Let's say it's it's when Moses is talking with Yahweh there at the mountain, you got the burning bush, and Moses says, yeah, but when I go and talk to the elders of Israel, they're going to ask, well, who sent me? And then we get the 314, it's, well, tell them that I am has sent you. Well, if you're preaching that text, it's a great text. Um it's, a, it's an extremely rich text. I would explain how God's name, I am, or Yahweh, that's what the word Yahweh means, I am, how that's very much tied to the Exodus as, it, as you work that out in the book of Exodus. But then, uh, and this would not be all that difficult to do, you look at your cross-references there for Exodus 3.14. Well, you should, a good cross-reference Bible should list several texts in the Gospels where we have Jesus uttering, I am. The problem here, Matt, and this is something maybe we should do a show on. The problem, Matt, is that in the Old the Old Testament translators will say, well, in English, I am. But in the New, the New Testament guys, the guys who are translating the New Testament, when they, when they render that statement, I am, they don't render it, I am. They render it, it is I. And the majority of English translations do that. So you kind of have, so there you really need to know Greek mm -hmm. to understand we've got an illusion. So in Jesus, for example, so in Jesus there in Mark 6, when he passes, passes by the disciples in the boat, he's walking on the water and he passes them by. And then he says, it is I. Well, in English, it says it is I. But in Greek, it says I am. Mm -hmm. Well, you're meant, their mark is alluding to Exodus 3. And so yeah. we, need this, we need to make these connections and say, Jesus is bringing about a greater Exodus. Just as Yahweh brought about, brought about the first Exodus, now Jesus mm -hmm. is bringing about the second Exodus, a definitive act of judgment, definitive restoration, you know, so you can go on and on. But, yeah. but to bind, so that's just an easy way to bind mm -hmm. Exodus 3, in Mark six or these, you know, we could do this all day, but that's, that's yeah. kind of how, so I would maybe do, if it's an old Testament text, I may spend two quarters, I'm sorry, uh, two thirds of the sermon on the old Testament, maybe a third on the new, but to make it just, just look at the cross references, see what new Testament text cites or alludes or invokes that text. And you'll be on safe ground there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, a couple thoughts. Uh, one is, and I, I know I just want to make this explicit. I know you assume this, but obviously you're starting with first and foremost a careful study of that Exodus passage, working in the original language, using tools to make sure you understand the the what that passage means in its context, in its original literary context first, as a foundation then for moving out, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, and I, I think you probably just kind of streamlined the process. But another piece of that is uh, in those I am statements, 
you get additional I am statements in Isaiah in connection right. with <clears throat> the promise of a new Exodus. So you right. can even see that thread uh, moving from Exodus into Isaiah, where God's saying, I'm still Yahweh. I, I'm the God who is I am. And based on that right. identity, I'm going to bring about a new and greater Exodus. So that when Jesus steps on the scene and starts making these I am statements, we're, in, we're supposed to catch, oh, this is it. This th- this is Yahweh in the flesh accomplishing the new Exodus that he promised. Right. There's the text in Exodus, and Matt, you may know this. I can't remember this offhand. I can't remember if the if the Hebrew Bible includes this, but I know that the Greek Old Testament includes it. It's a double, it's a double whammy. It's a double I am. It's I am I am in the Greek text. A go. It goes, a go, a me, a go, a me. It's a double I am. And I can't remember if the MT, I, I argue, I argue there in my, my handbook that that's actually alluded to. And I can't remember in John where there's an allusion, but it's very mm-hmm. significant. You have a doubling. It's the only place in the Old Testament where a go, a me, or I am is actually doubled. Hmm. And that's very significant too. So that when Jesus then says, I am, we can see other allusions to that same Isaiahic text. It's very significant. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's where, and I'm sure, you know, if you, if you do the work in the cross references, you're going to get it, you're going to catch those Isaiah references as well uh, in terms of seeing the, the, the development of that uh, into the new Testament. So what's your favorite um, cross-reference Bible? Oh man. I don't know that I have one off the top of my head. I mean, I, I feel like the, for the most part, I mean, I I work out of the ESV, uh, and I feel like yeah. their cross references are are solid, you know. Yeah. Um, I I know this is uh, I'm probably letting trade secrets out, but uh, I I know you, you, one of your dream projects is to get get a uh, a monster cross reference project going. Um, yeah. but uh, yeah. and That's I but common. and and those are great, uh, because it's really such a help to the to not just the the English reader, but, you know, you read a text and unless you have like just this unbelievably encyclopedic knowledge of, of scripture, oftentimes those cross references will bring to mind like, oh, I don't, I didn't really remember that, you know, Amos mm-hmm. nine mentions that mm-hmm. and you go, oh yeah, look at that. And mm-hmm. then it can be an entry point into, well, I wonder if there's more of a connection there, even at the sort of verbal or linguistic level, not just at sort of some broad thematic level. So those cross-references can be a great entry point into um, seeing how your Bible fits together. Mm-hmm. You know, have you seen Top Gun 2? Oh, yeah. Maverick? So Of course. I I use this movie. I use, yes, of course. I use, I use this sequel to the first Top Gun. It's a great, it's a great way to explain mm-hmm. old and the new because in second, in, in Maverick, it's amazing. You actually have three, three tiers here. There are times in Maverick where they will take a portion of Top Gun one mm-hmm. and they will paste it in. So I say that's a quotation, right? Yeah. Where they've copied two seconds from the first one and pasted it into Maverick. That is a quotation. So that's a very overt thing. You're like, it, it's funny because the readers, it's so obvious, it's almost, it's a little on the nose. You're like, come on, come <laughs> right. on. Right, yeah. 
And then there are other times, there are other times uh, where it's subtle. They'll use just one or two words when Tom Cruise is in the, uh, is, is flying it. There are times when he just uses like one key word there mm-hmm. and it's meant to bring back the first one. And it's actually, it's the subtlety that yeah. is more, it's even more persuasive and it really ev- uh, uh, makes the genius of of Top Gun Maverick even better. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think it really connects to audiences. And so that's why we're just trying to do that with the Bible. Yeah. If this yeah. works or like, or the Marvel world, right? My kids, mm-hmm. they love Marvel and they know they can detect these illusions and they can without even they haven't read the scripts to the marvel right. no they've watched them they've heard them so many times that would that they'll pick up on sort of these inner mcu illusions if i could call it that inner yeah. i like the inner mcu illusions <laughs> that's all yeah. we're trying to do with the bible is yeah. just pick up on its internal conversation yeah. and make people and explain that conversation explain those connections to people in an accessible and clear way. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I remember when I saw uh, Top Gun 2, we we had watched the original like two mm-hmm. days before we went to see it in the the the, the, the sequel in the in the theater. And that was super helpful. I mean, like you said, some of them some of the references are so obvious, like they literally just like Yeah, he's driving, he's He's riding a Honda bike in yeah. both. Like it's the identical yeah. thing. Come on. That's but a then you've got the then you've got a real subtle one, like at the beginning, where there's the mention of the admiral's daughter, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh wait a mm-hmm. minute, that's just a little throwaway line in the original, where they're getting chewed out by the commander, and he mentioned, you know, Goose and Maverick are t- talking, and 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 uh, Goose says something about is that the admiral's daughter? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so a it's real two words. One. That's a yeah. two word. That's a Admiral's two word daughter. Yeah. yeah, and it yeah. and it becomes you know something that Top Gun Two you know obviously does a lot with. So in any mm-hmm. case, um, it's it, it's a good example of how knowing, in one sense, knowing how the knowing the Old Testament sets the stage for understanding the richness of the New Testament. Um, and how dependent the New Testament is in terms of its categories, its language. Um, but even, I would say, not just New Testament to Old Testament, but even later Old Testament, depending on earlier Old mm-hmm. Testament, that you see the prophets going back to language out of the Torah, out of out of Deuteronomy and such, and out of Genesis, to, uh, to remind Israel about God's promises, about his character, and all those sorts of things. So all those are, are really good. I think that's a, that's a good uh, example there that you gave moving from Exodus into John. And I think part of the skill through using, uh, it's via, via Isaiah. Exactly. Via Isaiah. Yeah. And, and part of the, part of the skill that I try to teach my students where I'm teaching them biblical theology is helping them to learn how to synthesize and summarize concisely what's going on rather than having to take seven minutes to unpack that, right, to right. be able to explain it in 30 seconds. 
how there's this movement from Exodus to Isaiah into John and how that sets the stage for what Jesus is saying here in this passage. Um, what would you say though, Matt? What would you say? Because I hear this. I hear I hear some pastors say these things like, oh, oh my, I don't want to be over the over the congregation's head. This is more for Sunday school. This is a Wednesday night. This is for a more detailed discussion later, the, the, the pulpit, the pulpit isn't really for these sorts of things. Well, I, I would say, um, balderdash is what, <laughs> is what I would say. I mean, that's, I, I think that's a kind, that's a, that's kind of you. Is it exactly? I mean, I think, I think good preaching hits the range of your audience. I mean, I'm not advocating for a kind of preaching that is consistently going over your congregation's head. But what I am advocating for is educating your congregation as you're preaching so you raise their level of competence and understanding so that they themselves start to follow what you're you're doing here. And so I think um, you can you can do both. Now, you can overdo it. And turn it into a lecture, which is not the context for preaching. But I think you can also do it in a way that tries to put uh, put an explanation in place that is understandable for a wide range of your congregation, so they can follow along um, in in what you're saying. I mean, I I, I had a I had a local pastor once uh, tell me that. He thought that the sermon should be preached at basically about a fourth to fifth grade level. And and I about lost my lunch when mm-hmm. he said that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, then you're going to have some very immature baby Christians that mm-hmm. are going to make up your entire right. congregation. Right. So I, I tell I tell my students that that you're the maturity of the congregation will only go as high as your preaching. Yeah. If you give them fourth grade reading level every week, guess what? They're never getting the junior high. They yeah. GED at best. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think um I, I think you can I think you can get you, you can move your congregation further along over the course of a preaching ministry uh, mm-hmm. as you're doing that. So now um, you know it's it's interesting, Matt, because in the first century, I don't I don't hear Paul talking about a Wednesday night service or a Sunday morning service or <laughs> yeah. breakout discipleship groups, right? It's yeah. just, guess what? It's just church. Yep. It's just church. Yeah. And it's coming together, you, reading coming the scriptures together. together, preaching the scriptures. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that Sunday school and Wednesday nights are unbiblical. Of course, I'm no. not saying that. But I, but for Paul, but if you were to ask, hey, Paul, you know, we got to bring it down. You know what? Read Paul, listen to his sermons. You know what? We could actually listen in on these sermons. There's a little book. It happens to be a pretty good book. It's a little book called the book of Acts. Yeah. And in these, and in this book, we've got several sermons and we, Mm -hmm. they're condensed of course, but we can see how these sermons were preached. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and guess what? They're very biblical, theological. There's a good NSBT volume. Uh, it's probably on your shelf, you know, that traces the how these early sermons yeah, are biblical. That's theological. the, uh, isn't it biblical theology according to the apostles? Is that the one you're that's thinking right. of? Yeah. yeah. Compton, Bruno, and uh, McFadden. Yeah, Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Is that, that right? That sounds right. Yeah. 
So, um, just saying. Just yeah, saying. that's that's good. Yeah. So, okay, let's let's talk about New Testament, right? Let's talk about a New Testament passage. So, you're working in a New Testament passage. Uh, I'll let you cherry pick whatever New Testament passage you want to kind of work with this. I mean, some of them are so obvious that you know, if you don't draw some biblical theological connections, then um, you know, I'm not sure you should be preaching. But uh, you know, is the how is the process, if at all, different if you're working starting from a New Testament passage, trying to draw in the Old Testament and biblical theological context? Yeah, so the New Testament can be trickier because it's has in mind the totality of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. If you're preaching in Exodus 3, you've just got Genesis. I just, if I use the word, you've got (laughs) Genesis to work with in Exodus one and two, you see, it's a little bit easier because there's less background material there in some sense. When you're working in the new Testament, it's the totality of the old Testament Mm -hmm. to make matters even more sort of complex is that the way new Testament authors and old Testament authors do this as well. New Testament they're they, they work so quickly. They'll, they'll hit you with one biblical theological point. Then they'll hit you with another one. And so the idea is to figure out well, why, why do we have this a cluster of themes all together here? Sometimes we don't know why. Yeah. But at least ask the question, how are these related? So I've been working on a Mark commentary. I haven't made much progress on it the last month or two, but slowly I'm getting there. I'm at the end of chapter two, but in chapter one, very interesting, chapter one. There's an illusion there that not many people have seen. And it's it's always it's always pestered me. This has always been an odd expression for me because when John the Baptist says, I'm not worthy to untie my sandal because of the coming one. Mm-hmm. It's an odd man. I just in my mind, you know, he John John doesn't talk much at least in the synoptics Mm -hmm. and he has that one line there and it's an odd line in my mind it's an odd line that i can never figure out and most commentators say it has something to do in the effect of with the effect of that john is seeing himself as a servant yeah and he is on it which makes sense sandal on tie you know he is a lowly figure i get it and that probably is partly uh, there in that mm-hmm. line. But I think that there's an allusion there, speaking of Exodus 3, to Exodus 3, when Moses, when God tells Moses, he's got to take his shoes off. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, that expression to untie one's sandals is only found in two places in the Old Testament, and it's found in Exodus 3 and in Joshua 5. In Joshua 5 yeah. actually alludes to Exodus 3 there. It's with the angel. Tells yep. Joshua, take off your shoes. It's holy ground. And that goes back to Exodus 3. So, and the idea here, so if I to put all these pieces together, if I'm preaching this text, and this is a huge point in Mark 1 and in Mark 2. In fact, he is called the demon, is the one who utters this, the holy one of God. Mm-hmm. You are the holy one of God. And so if we think about that, that makes beautiful sense based upon this illusion, because there in Mark 1, Jesus is the Holy One of God, going back to Exodus 3. And everywhere Jesus steps in the Gospel of Mark is now holy ground. So really what 
what John is doing, he's acknowledging that everywhere Jesus steps, he himself in his terrain, it's holy ground. So I need to I need to start taking off my sandals. I need to loosen these straps, right? Because yeah. here we have the Holy One of God. He is ego me. He is the great I am. And that's why holiness is such a massive theme in Mark's Gospels. And that's one way to really, these Gospel writers, they'll use these little allusions to hook you into these bigger themes. And it's exciting to, to preach that this is not super scholarly, super academic, yeah. This is just repeating scripture. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. I've not I've not seen that before. So that's uh that's Oh, I got all sorts of I, I know. wild and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um <laughs> let me let me give a quick example. Um so in Ephesians 4, and I think sometimes um one of the challenges is is when you're preaching in the epistles. And you get a lot of, uh, you know, do this and don't do this, be like this, don't be like this. Some people can wonder, so what do I do with that that doesn't turn just into moralism? How do I preach that in a sort of biblical theological framework? And so, you know, a good example is in Ephesians 4, where you've got um, you've got this uh, great little passage here in 4.17 through 24, where he's talking about basically don't live like the Gentiles uh, and describes what they're like. And then verse 20, he says, that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard about him, were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old and the ESV has self. You look at the footnote. It says, I know, I know the footnote though has old man which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt and it is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, meaning man created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, there's old Testament allusions all over that in terms of created after the likeness of God. So you've got image of God stuff there and, and you've got this underlying, um, one of Paul's fundamental structures of his theology is this Adam Christ typology that he works with that is explicit in passages like uh, Romans five. And also in first Corinthians 15, it pops up explicitly, but it undergirds even a passage like this so that it's uh, it's rooted in the larger biblical theological framework of who are you identified with? If you're a Christian, you're now identified with Christ. And therefore, you have put on the new man because you're united to the one true new man, Jesus Christ. So even picking up on some of that language can be a way of helping people understand um, the the larger biblical theological context of a passage like that. Um, And then as you're moving forward in Ephesians, if you know, once you move past that, using that as a reference point backwards when Paul gets very specific about do this, don't do this, be this, don't be this. That's all an outworking of being uh, the the new man that, that Jesus Christ has made you to be because you're united to him by faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do so, you think, Matt, right. do you think that, that Paul expected his congregations to recognize these illusions? Well, I think... Um, I, I think Paul understood his his 
his and other New Testament authors, Paul right. and the yeah. New Testament authors. I think that they wrote in a way that um, you can understand the basic message of what they're saying, even if you miss some of these uh, Old Testament allusions and echoes. Uh, however, I think we often forget that these New Testament documents were not just read once in the congregation and then put on the shelf to move on to something else. They were read repeatedly. They were explained. They were taught. They were exposited by elders in the church, people who had a little bit more understanding of the Old Testament. And so even if people missed them as they heard it read, part of the role of the elders in the teaching ministry was to explain and exposit those things. And and honestly, uh, that was even part of the, of the role of the letter carriers to help explain certain passages and ideas that may not be immediately evident to someone with a minimal biblical background to say, you know, when Paul talks about old man, new man, he's talking about Adam and Christ. And so I also think we underestimate what Paul himself taught originally in his congregations when he's planning these churches. I think some people just assume, oh, well, yeah, I just taught the basic you know, kind of very simplistic gospel message and then moved on. That's not Paul's, that's not how Paul worked. He was expositing the scriptures and going deep, even as he's initially preaching the gospel. Right. He even says explicitly in Second Thessalonians, uh, and this was about the, the, the end times. This is eschatology. He goes, I told you about this. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, cause he's frustrated. He's like, I covered this the yeah. first, <laughs> the first time he goes, when yeah. I was with you. Yeah. He's like, and you guys are obtuse. You're not, you don't remember what I said. You're perverting it. So we know yeah. that's a nice little bit there yep. that he covered eschatology when he church planted. I mean, I, I yeah. don't know if Acts 29 does that, but man, I, you know, I suspect not many church planters are covering eschatology yeah. uh, when they're building not. churches probably not. We, we get some insight there yeah for sure well we need to we need to bring this to a to a close here um but I, I wanted to ask ben do you have any recommended resources or even just so if it, put yourself in the shoes of, of maybe a young preacher or a seminary student who's listening to our podcast and saying okay I'm convinced of the need and the importance and the value of, of of incorporating biblical theology into my preaching, but I don't even know where to begin or how do I get better at doing it? What are some things I can be doing to improve my ability to do this? So how would you help give some guidance to, yeah, to a person like that? I, I think the best pastor or the best preacher, I should say, that demonstrates this is Don Carson. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've heard a lot of pastors... Um, as far as consistently, that consistently executes this way of preaching and preaching yeah. well and clearly. There are times, I mean, Don is just so brilliant. There are times where it may be hard to follow him or some of the words that he uses, it's 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 complex. Yeah. But for the most part, he's very clear and he makes very good connections. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, obviously, you know, we'll talk about, yes, of course, guys like Tim Keller and but, it, but Don is more sensitive to these types of things, illusions. He's got, yeah. I would say he's, he's got kind of like a, an inside track there because he's a New Testament guy and he spent, he's labored for so many years there doing these types of connections that he would be the one say, 
listened to him and he's preached hundreds of sermons. They're all available yeah. on Lagos, I think you can get. So I would say if you could just listen to one guy who makes these connections and preaches them really well, it's Don Carson. As far as a book, uh, I really like Sidney Gray Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. I've looked yep. at that several times. I've read most of, most of that. He has several volumes that do that. Yep. Uh, like he has one on Daniel, the Psalms, uh, maybe Kohelet. I don't know if he does Kohelet, but he he, is, he does. Yeah. He is terrific. It's an Erdman's. I think they're published by Erdman's. And those yeah. books are really, I think that's just it. I mean, if you could just listen to Don Carson and read Sidney Green Donis preaching Christ from the Old Testament, they're gonna they're gonna get you there. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Would you have well, any, anything I, to say? I, I would have just a couple of things. Uh, one is, and I, I think I know you agree with this. There is no substitute for consistent, extended reading of scripture and long passages, large chunks. So not just when you're reading your Bible in the morning or whenever you read it, not just being like, okay, here's my like four verses. No, read chapters, sit down in the evening and read an entire gospel account in one sitting. Reading in large chunks helps you see the flow, helps you make connections, helps you see themes that are popping out. We've mentioned the cross-references. Check your cross-references when you're doing the work. I would also... I like, I like the Holmans, just, just to yeah. interrupt you. I think the, the Holman, the HESB, or now the CSB, and the ESV, those are two very, very mm -hmm. good references. So, sorry. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the other thing I would say is um, the more reading you do of biblical theology in general, the more you start to see connections, they become more second nature. Uh, and obviously uh, that's really at the heartbeat of, in one, some ways of, of what we want to do as scholars is to make biblical theology accessible to a large number of people. And so you've got the volumes in your essential studies in biblical theology, which you edit um, all very accessible and once you start to read through those volumes, you start to make connections and then you'll start to see things as you're reading scripture. Uh, the New Studies in Biblical Theology, another great series, probably a, a step up in terms of difficulty or uh, in terms of reading, but still accessible. Many of them are accessible. So those are great places to look. Um, and, uh, you know, there's one tool. What about preachers? I, what about preachers? Yeah, for preachers. Well, I, I mean, I think you need to be reading, first of all. Well, those sorts of things. Um, I, I think uh, in terms of people, I, I also was going to point people to, to Don Carson. So you kind of stole my thunder there. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I think, I think Lig Duncan does a great job. Oh, he does. Ligon is terrific. He I does. mean, I still remember his uh, T4G message on numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, was it numbers six, the beginning of number six, but just, it was phenomenal and he is so good at making those connections and helping you see the organic nature of those connections so that's uh someone else i'd point people to mm -hmm. uh so to listen i'm sure you can find uh plenty of his sermons online you can find a bunch of his stuff at, at t4g conferences and uh in other places as well so well we gotta wrap have any this other written do you have any other written i feel like i i i cut you off there i feel like you were on a roll and um, uh, one other thing, uh, if you're if you're preparing to preach, there's one other uh, resource. You know, I mentioned the New Studies in Biblical Theology. There's a a web page that hosts the Master Scripture Index for the whole series. 
So if you're preaching through a book, you can go through and see and out of all 60, how many volumes are there now? There's got to be what, around 60. Uh, it's at like 62, I think okay. now. So there's a master scripture index where you can see where the, whatever passage you might be preaching is discussed and whether it's just mentioned or whether it's actually like explained and discussed. So that's a great resource. I'll put that in the show notes for people to check that out. But in the Beal and um, Carson commentary yes. of the New Testament use of the old, I mean, that's, that's a little bit more in the weeds, but you're going to get into allusions yep. and quotations and, yep. and Matt, I don't know about you, but when I, when I consult the commentary, I go there before I go the, to a commentary. I, yes, because they're thinking those authors are thinking along the same lines that you and I are. Yeah. So I, that's my first, before I go into any, any commentary, no, please check out the Beal and Carson volume, then go into the commentaries. Yes. Because a Amen. lot of the times those commentaries are not thinking in terms of on the new. They, no. they, they just do it when they get around to it or yep. when they stumble onto it, but they're not thinking how is the new Testament using the old pervasively, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. One other thing, um, the new dictionary of biblical theology is also mm-hmm. a good resource mm-hmm. in terms of it's got articles on on themes, specific topics, as well as each of the biblical books. Um, so that can be a good place to, to, to look for things as well. So, all right, we got to wrap this up. I've got another meeting to run to. <laughs> so the, the joys of being back in session here. So I think but, that's a cough. I hear a cough. There it's you like go. It's like, yeah. It's like you're sick. Uh, yeah, I wish I could skip out of this one. Anyway, um, we do appreciate, uh, you joining us on the, uh, biblical theology briefing podcast. Uh, our next episode, we are going to discuss my new book in the, uh, new Testament theology series that Crossway is putting out on, uh, it's on second Peter and Jude. It's called the God who judges and saves. So we will talk about that in our next episode, and we look forward to having you join us next time on the Biblical Theology Briefing Podcast. Thanks for listening.